is in the future. This is a great class uh, for you parents out there. Uh, so you are invited to come to our Wednesday night Bible class. Maybe you've got away from the habit of coming to that. Um, I think you should think about that again because we have a lot of fun on Wednesday night. All right. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 15, verses 13 through 21. The Bible says, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. And by the way, this comes kind of right in, in the middle of a song that the Israelites sing when they cross the Red Sea on dry land. They're so excited. And they say it. They sing, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistine. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. Next slide, please. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Now we're back to narrative. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea... The Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. Horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. Well, these verses right here, they really capture the mood of the people. After they crossed the Red Sea and God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt, this captures their mood. They are on top of the world. They're celebrating. It's like when your team hits the buzzer beater and there's a big court storming. Okay? This is the mood right now. They're just on top of the world. There's music and dancing. Let the celebration begin. And God, after all, He's promised these people the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey are, are great, right? Now, we don't describe great lands like that anymore, but that just meant it was, it was bountiful. It was a good place. A land flowing with milk and honey. So the Israelites are ready. They're like, let's go. God saved us. Now let's enter the promised land. It reminds me of uh, that home that used to be on TV, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Remember that show? Ty Pennington hosted it, and they would send this family on vacation. Normally, it was a family with some sort of ongoing issues or struggles, and they would send a family on vacation. Well, unbeknownst to this family, they would completely remodel their home during their vacation, sometimes even rebuilding the entire house from the ground up. And so the people would come back from vacation and lo and behold, they would see their new home. And of course, they would break down and have tears of joy and tears of unbelief because of what just happened. I think this is kind of like what the Israelites are thinking. 
And they're like, let's go. This is going to be awesome. Let's see our new deck and our new grill. Let's check out the new tile in the bathroom and the granite in the kitchen. Man, this is going to be awesome. So, picking off where we, where we left off, picking up where we left off in our scripture reading, this is what happened. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the deserts of Shur. Desert. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Not exactly what they had in mind, I don't think. They were expecting the promised land, and they get the desert of sure. Are you kidding me? And bitter water. That's a far cry from sipping on sweet tea on the new deck. Watching the kids play in the new pool. It's not what they expected. Well, how about you? Have you ever had your hopes up? Really expected something great? And then it just kind of fell flat. It fell short of your expectation. Maybe there's a new restaurant that opened up in town and everybody's talking about it. So you're like, oh man, I'm going to go to this restaurant. It's going to be awesome. You go and you're like, man, it's not that great. There was a lot of hype. It fell flat. Maybe it was a movie that everybody's talking about and you rush to the movie theater and you're excited about seeing this movie and you get there and you watch it and you're like, man, I wish I would have just stayed home. That's a waste of money. Maybe when you got married, you thought that your marriage was going to be this fairy tale life. And every day was going to be more in love than the next. And you were going to live happily ever after. And then a year later, you're saying, Now tell me again why I married this guy. Fell short of your expectations. Maybe at one time you were just on fire for the Lord. You were so excited to be a Christian. And each day was better. And going to church was an honor. And you just loved it. You couldn't wait till Sunday so you could go to church. But then, you get hurt by somebody. And it leaves you bitter and angry and disenchanted. And then your bitterness sort of kind of rubs off on Sister Margaret. And Margaret becomes disillusioned. Which makes Brother Gary a little sad and upset. Which makes Brother Fran disenchanted. And the bee goes on and the bee goes on. And well, pretty soon, it's just not what you hoped it would be. Falling short of your expectation. Not what it should be. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Well, why does God take the Israelites into the desert? Why does He lead them in the desert of all places? I mean, doesn't He know that the desert isn't a fun experience? Okay, Las Vegas hadn't been invented yet. That wasn't there. Okay, The desert was not intended to be fun. 
And it's not like it was just a brief stop, too. It was 40 years. Not 40 days. 40 years. I mean, it almost seems like a like a cruel trick. I mean, at the very least, it seems unnecessary. Completely out of the way. Why take the Israelites through the desert? What give? Well, I'll tell you why he doesn't. Because you can take the people out of slavery, but you can't take the slavery out of the people. You can take the people out of the slavery, but you can't take the slavery out of the people. You see, there was slavery in these people's hearts. And they might not have even known it, but it was there. And God knows that the only cure for a heart of slavery you guessed it. The desert. So off they go into the desert. Uh, to give you a little better understanding why God takes the Israelites through the desert, look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, verses 1 through 5 says, and by the way, you'll notice I've capitalized some words. Um, I want the whole congregation to speak those words to me when we get there. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His command. He, you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, to you, that a man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes, they did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Time in the desert is about teaching, it's about humility, and it's about discipline. Now, what kind of a father never disciplines his children? What kind of a father would that be? That's kind of a staple. We regard discipline as a staple to good parents, especially fathers. And what kind of a child never needs discipline? Show me that child. Someone. I mean, Liesl's pretty good, maybe. Maybe Liesl? I don't know. No, not, not Liesl, for sure. Um, but every child needs discipline, and every father must discipline the children. So, as children of God, if you are a child of God, you're going to be disciplined sometimes, whether you like it or not, whether it's a fun experience or not. You know, you're going to be disciplined. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says that the Lord disciplines His children to humble us and see what's in our hearts. God wants to know for sure what's in our hearts. If we take away all the benefits of being a child of God, 
and we're in the desert, will we still look to Him? Will we still trust Him? Will we still listen to Him? Will we still look for Him for guidance and healing? That's what God wants to know. He causes us to hunger, but then He feeds us, which teaches us that we should trust God, that He's a good God, and that we can rely upon Him. The lesson to be learned in the desert is God is enough. All I need is God. God is enough. I don't need anything else but God alone. Dry desert soaks up all of the, the gunk in our hearts. The idolatry that, that creeps in. And it forces us to rely on God alone. So the Israelites, here they are, on top of the world one moment. And then the next moment, they're lost in the desert. They're hot. They're thirsty. All they have is bitter water. And they grumble against Moses. So let's pick up where we left off again in Exodus chapter 15. It says, So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. I guess some branch there. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you do His commands, And keep all his decrees. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who who heals you. If you have been let down by your circumstances in life, maybe things have fallen short of your expectations. Whether it be romance, whether it be school, or your career... Or maybe it be church. If these things aren't what you expected them to be and you have been left embittered, turned off, disenchanted, God heals. God heals. You know, it reminds me of Luke chapter 5. That there was a man with leprosy. And when Jesus came in view of this man, The man got down on his knees. It says he put his face to the ground and he prayed to to Jesus and he said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. When is the last time you have been in this posture right here? Not very flattering. But when is the last time you have done this and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. You can heal us. And of course, what does Jesus do? He touches the man and says, I am willing. Why? Because God heals. That's just what He does. God heals. And He says, yes. I am willing. And this man with leprosy, 
He had been to the desert, hadn't he? I mean, who wants leprosy? He's thinking, you know, his posture went from this, God, why? Why me? I mean, leprosy was a disease where you were shunned, you were forced out of the community. A lot of times you were stoned for it. So you had to be on your guard. You had to be on the lookout because you might get stoned today. Like rocks to the head stones, all right? And um, his posture went from grumbling to the Lord ah, to this. Why? Because that's what the desert does. It forces you from this to this. It forces you to rely on Jesus alone because it teaches you that God alone heals. God alone feeds you. He is all you need. God is enough. So my title is interim minister, right? Interim meanings intentionally temporary. After the last guy, before the next guy, right? That's what interim ministry is. And when I started this interim ministry, I prayed and I thought about what God wanted me to do as interim minister. How did I want to define my interim ministry? Well, with God's guidance, I decided that I would emulate John the Baptist in my interim ministry. So we're going to read about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. Why did I emulate John the Baptist? Well, it's not what you're thinking. I mean, his name is John. My name is John. Okay, I'm pretty shallow, I'll admit, but it goes a little deeper than that. Okay? What role did God give John? What was his role? Well, he was to prepare the way for someone else. He was going to prepare the way for the next guy. It wasn't about John. It was about someone else. It was about the next guy. Interim ministry is John the Baptist stuff. So let's read about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. It says, He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. John the Baptist's role was to make it easy for the people to see the next God. That was his role. You know, all those that rough terrain, he was going to smooth it out so it would be easy to get to the next God. Why did John the Baptist go to the desert to do his ministry? Seems a little odd. Well, I think it's because John knew the effect that the desert has on people. He knows how it can change people's lives, change people's hearts, and turn people to God. After all, John preached repentance 
And the desert is where repentance happens. Sometimes you just got to make a trip to the desert. It's tough. You just got to do it. So as I prepare the way for someone else, for the next guy, I want to make sure that I'm preparing the way for Jesus. Because Jesus is the next guy. Jesus is always the next guy. Right? Sure, you'll have another minister. It's going to be a while, okay? But you're going to have somebody else. You're going to have a minister. But I'm not preparing the way for him. I'm preparing the way for Jesus. Because if I prepare the way for Jesus and we become better Christ followers, then the next minister is just going to be cake. It's going to be easy. In fact, it won't really matter who the next minister is if we're better Christ followers. Because our focus is going to be on Jesus. Jesus is going to be up front and center. Not a man. And besides the fact, if we're all more committed and dedicated to following Jesus, to living our life like Jesus did, a life of love and service, boy, that's going to make it really easy for the next minister. Right? In fact, you might teach him something. So, J.B., that's John the Baptist, J.B. was preparing the way for Jesus. How exactly did he do that? What did he preach? Okay, we've already talked about repentance. But let's get a little bit more detailed, a little bit more specific. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 8 through 14. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What John the Baptist says. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. Okay, this kind of reminds you of uh, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, where he says, you guys pretty much just killed Jesus. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh, what should we do? It's this kind of moment. So John says to the crowd, well, the man with two tunics should share with those who have none. The one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors, kind of the scum of the earth, they came also to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So John preached repentance, sort of turning to God, turning your ear back to the voice of God. He said that was about putting that repentance to work, putting your faith into action. He said it's about showing concern for your fellow man, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. The man who has two tunics to share with the one who has none. Having concern for those in need. We should love and care for the less fortunate. That's kind of like right at the heart of the gospel, right? 
All sorts of people came to see John the Baptist in the desert. Tax collectors and soldiers were probably just a few. And the tax collectors, they said, what should we do? And he would give each person specific instructions on what they could do to repent. This is what your repentance will look like if you're a tax collector. Do your job honestly. Be a man of integrity. Don't take advantage of people because of your powerful position. Don't pocket any of the money that you collect. Just collect the minimum required. Even though others might be cutting corners, even though others might be collecting more than they're required and putting it in their pockets and padding their stats, you do your job right, honestly. He gave similar instructions to soldiers. And I would imagine that he gave similar instructions to all sorts of people. All of his instructions were about remaining where you are, doing your job with integrity, treating others fairly, caring about the less fortunate, and being content with what you have. Now, if you've ever wondered what bearing fruit is, sometimes the Bible is a little vague about that. Bear fruit, bear fruit, come on, you got to bear fruit. What does that mean? Here we get specific instruction about doing your job with integrity, just staying where you are. You don't have to quit being a tax collector. You don't have to quit being a soldier. But do it well. Do it honestly. Care about the needs of others and be content with what you have. That is bearing fruit. You can take the people out of the slavery but you can't take the slavery out of the people. Has slavery crept into your hearts today? Do you feel it? Are you not satisfied? Do you feel enslaved by bitterness, disenchantment, anger, disappointment, just from life not living up to your expectations? Whether it be your career, your love life, or your church family. Think about those people who went out to the desert to see John the Baptist. Why would they go out to way out into the desert, that's no cakewalk, if they had their lives in line and they were completely happy and satisfied with their lives? Why would they go all the way out to the desert? These are people who were disappointed, who had high hopes for their lives, who thought, man, life should be more than this. And John says, you need to stay where you are, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and turn to God and God alone for healing. Because that's who God is. God is willing. God heals. Deuteronomy 2, 7 says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He has watched over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He has watched over you, your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. And you have not 
lack anything. Are you going through the desert right now? I know it's tough. What have you lacked? The Lord your God is with you. And that is enough. God is enough. So if you're disappointed, if you expected a lot, if you have high expectations, but they've they've been let down, here's my advice. Bear fruit, keeping with repentance. Don't be so self-absorbed that have concern for your fellow man, especially your Christian brothers and sisters, and be content with what you have. Do these things and just sit back and watch what will happen. Okay? It's like, here's the pill you take, call me in the morning, whatever. Do these things. Bear fruit. Look out for your fellow man. Be content with what you have. And a year later, call me and tell me how your life has changed. Tell me what the desert does for you. Well, you may have noticed that other churches right now are observing something called Lent. L-E-N-T. Lent. Now, this year it's like March 1st through April 13th. And typically... Churches of Christ, we don't observe Lent for a couple of reasons. Um, you won't find Lent in the Bible. It's not there. And two, secondly, it was somebody else's idea, Lent was. So that's probably the main reason why we don't do it. Now, I'm not going to start advocating that we observe Lent like other churches do. But I want to talk a little bit about Lent and what really lies at the heart of what Lent is all about. Lent is intended to be a time purposefully designed for repentance, fasting, and self-examination in order to prepare you for Christ's arrival. Supposed to uh, prepare you for Christ's arrival through fasting, repentance, turning to God. It's going to the desert. Saying, you know what? I need a trip to the desert. It's God's discipline. It's about purposefully making time to consider if your life is reflecting an attitude of dependence on God. And getting rid of all that gunk that gets into your heart. And just focusing on God and God alone. If you knew that Jesus was going to be here, say, in 30 days, What would you have to do to prepare for His coming? That's the question that Lent asks. My man J.B., he says, Repent and bear fruit in order to prepare for Christ's arrival. And that's my advice for you today. John the Baptist says, Be a person of integrity. Care for the needs of others and be content with what you have. We don't have to call it Lent. Okay? But I would encourage you to examine the status of your heart and see if there's anything in there getting the way of your reliance upon God and God alone. And by the way, Lent lasts 40 days to correspond with Jesus' 40 days of temptation. Where did that occur? In the desert. 
So even Jesus went to the desert. If Jesus did, and we might need to go there for 40 years away. Somebody did that. So John the Baptist, he got his name for baptizing, immersing people into water for the repentance of sins. When they were baptized, they were supposed to take what their life was, repent, and John would say, do your job well, be a person of integrity, integrity, um, love your neighbors, do all this stuff, and then you turn and listen towards God's voice and live your life in a different manner. Okay? The one that John the Baptist was preparing for, somebody greater than John the Baptist, was Jesus. And Jesus said to be baptized too. Jesus said to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're baptized into Christ, putting on a new life, repenting. Baptized into His death. It's a new birth. That is the moment of salvation where you can go from being a non-believer, trusting yourself, to relying completely on God and living a new life following Christ. So if you have not been baptized, I would encourage that today. And you can start living your life as a Christian, as a disciple. I don't know if Mark Barone is still here, but he would appreciate that. We talked about Christian versus disciple in our class. And it's good to be a disciple. It, it kind of has negative connotations because a disciple, guess, guess what the root word is? Discipline. Disciple. Discipline. Okay, we don't like to be disciplined. We don't like to be in the desert. But being a disciple of Jesus means that we have to be willing to be disciplined. There has to be one in authority. If you are tired of the way your life has been going, the circumstances of your life, repent and bear fruit. You can rely on God. Second Corinthians 2.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. All those promises you can trust. In Christ, they're all yes. Put your faith in Christ. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. So, Jerome, you can come on up. We're going to sing an invitation song. If you need help, you're in the right place. We can pray for you. You want to be baptized today? We'll do that for you as well. We're going to sing the invitation song. You may come up to the front while we sing that song. Let's stand and sing.